This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. This is the moment. Dogozo Mazibugo. We are introducing you to Power Talk <laughs> as part of us in this small corner of the universe of Power 98.7. The small corner of the world. But I don't know what's with all the pomp and ceremony. I'm no stranger to power listeners. Well, you're not, but to, to, to us here, <laughs> Peter and myself, okay. we always have the pleasure, if ever, to see you. From a distance, with a serious blockade of glass. Indeed. Now, you are here. Yes. Welcome. Without all the persona and facade that comes with reading the news, right? Oh, wow. Is now that something just, to talk about uh, one day? I mean, absolutely. Interesting. There's definitely something that gets put is, on. Is there like a character that you have to pull out of? The... There's a different voice. There's a different posture. There's, you know, it's all about the delivery. The art of delivering news to the airwaves. Exactly. We're not just. We're not just. You're not just reading. Exactly. eh? We're not just bulletin readers. (laughs) Yeah. We are delivering something to the people. And look at us thinking, "Ah, all you did, private school, uh, (laughs) English, and uh, it's now delivering the ports." You know. Yeah. Now that's good to know that there's an art. Maybe something to talk about one day, Kamazibugo. Now, you are joining us to be part of the week's diary. Yep. Thank you very much for agreeing to be part of this. The first story that I would like us to talk about is something that has seemingly been, at first, as usual in South Africa, put down. No, we haven't found the variant from India. I mean, I started getting calls from people close to KZN saying, hey, this thing has been found. But when you make inquiries with the authorities, that'd be saying, ah, that's just rumor, blah, blah, we have not... Where are we with COVID-19 today in South Africa? All right. So so over the weekend, we know that the Genome Network, which is charged with surveying and mapping these kinds of developments, right? The arrival of these variants uh, released the statement confirming that four cases of the B1617 variant, which we know is the variant that was detected in India, and is largely behind this overwhelming increase in infections in India. Four cases of of that variant have been discovered in South Africa, two in Gauteng, two in KwaZulu-Natal, right? And it's important that we highlight these regions. Gauteng is on the precipice of the third wave Mm. of COVID-19, right? We're already starting to see spikes in infections in Gauteng. The other issue with KZN is, you know, the populace. It is a populated region. So when we're talking about a new variant that is highly transmissible, it's problematic in a region like KZN. Um, And then we have the B117 variant, if I'm not mistaken. That was Mm. first detected in the UK. We have 11 cases of those, eight in the Western Cape and I think two in Gauteng and another one in KZN. So another similar problem. These are regions that we know uh, oftentimes uh, become epicenters in South Africa because of the population density and the fact that these variants are highly transmissible. 
when I look at the story, Lucon, and how it's developed, I would say agencies like the Genome Network and the NICD, largely charged with surveying and mapping, they have done their job. Yeah. They couldn't say anything outside of the first detection of that case. And I think when we look at their statements and the reiteration of the fact that South Africans do not panic, no case of the uh, India variant or the UK variant have been detected is, is truth and it's fact, Right. But if you're going to have conversations around, did we do enough? No, right? but, yeah, and also what should be happening? I mean, what I'm should, looking here what's the in next front step? of me. Right. The Sovietian has even write, written in bold red words, tighten borders, spare SA a third wave. This seems to be saying government is not doing enough. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, and, 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 and I want to say, and I just want to add this element to the conversation around government is not doing enough. There's a word that keeps, you know, popping up inevitable right we we had you know <laughs> we had professor uh, shabir mighty yeah. on 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 breakfast last week saying that a third wave is inevitable we've got health minister dr zwilim kiza saying the detection of these variants was inevitable this is a global health pandemic these mm. developments are inevitable but the messaging from government since the onset of this pandemic has been prevention 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 yes. there is contradiction it's counterintuitive to then send another message to south africans to say these developments only are inevitable then why am i wearing a mask why am i social distancing and from why are you avoiding who going I happen to, to lie you know exactly. and why must we not go out for dinner as often as we want everywhere why, and being close you know so there's this the messaging has been conflicting and it's been hard particularly as a newsroom to distill the facts in a way that ensures that we are responsible with the information south africans need need to know that the risk is still high. And now we have these variants that have arrived. The risk is even that much higher. Citizens might also be feeling the government is letting them down, leaving them to be the sole responsible people for the episode of COVID-19 in our country. Because by now, we should have closed uh, borders uh, from India, for example. But someone might say, well, we are fighting a big war with India at the World Trade Organization and that compromises exactly. how we might tackle this issue. But it's not personal, is it? It's not. And it shouldn't. These are the lives of South Africans that are at stake. And whatever bilateral relationships we have with India and how you know we wish to serve each other's interests to the best of our abilities as a government... I would say that the interests of your citizenry should trump any sort of relationship that you have with another country. So, yeah, I mean, it was also problematic to have Ramaphosa in Parliament say that the National Coronavirus Command Council was yet to sit down and even discuss a development like the one that we well, have. Well, has it said? Because they've been busy on Zoom. Well, <laughs> that's, an, that's your realm. I'm not, no, not no, going to enter I've that fray. I have Diazo later <laughs> on to help me through that one because I'm also trying to take a step back. Kamas Bugo, there's another development. I know that at the desk you are watching a lot of portfolio committee meetings uh, last week, uh, different departments appearing uh, differently. There is this one about Sasa uh, complaining about budget cuts. What is that figure? 600 million rands or something like that in terms of... Uh, the budget cut that they are facing and they are saying this is going to have serious implications on how they deliver social security. Absolutely. I think it's another example of, you know, government in a way shooting itself in the foot. 
social assistance we know we we've made some headway when it comes to our understanding of the importance of social assistance it's not just about improving the lives of south africans uh, we are now enabling people to become participants in the economy regardless of their socioeconomic position right and to now say that we're you know implementing budget cuts to this particular department and the amount of people that it helps i mean i think something i think ceo of of sasabusi memela said they received over 10 million applications for the social relief packages um it is a covid yeah. right and this idea that you know these individuals are now going to struggle even more to get access to these funds means that government is comfortable with the idea of having impoverished south africans get plunged even further into deprivation poverty and scarcity this is a narrative that this government is comfortable with that's what that story is telling me right yeah, and that also some irregularities still not arrested i mean we used to know far back then kunyange uh, gubu those would be fabricated uh, names of children right. in the advanced system. It seems as if they are saying now they still have to recoup a number of uh, uh, fraudulently paid out uh, 350 rands. I mean, honestly speaking, why haven't we closed these systems? Are you asking me? Yeah. <laughs> I don't work there. <laughs> Did they tell parliament anything about what they are doing about it? I mean, I think the other part of the 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 story to go back to the budget cuts is the fact that whatever efforts on their end as the South African Social Security Agency, whatever efforts they're willing to, you know, put forward, whatever mechanisms they're looking to establish to help curb these fraudulent activities is going to suffer because of the mm. budget cuts, right? Mm. So once again, we're taking two steps forward, five steps back in terms of A, improving the lives of South Africans who are dependent on social assistance, but also ensuring that these systems we use to service these individuals are protected against fraud, cyber, I don't know, attacks, etc. What I find most interesting though, are parliamentarians complaining about the effects of budget cuts, and yet they voted some of them in support of the appropriations bills that the Treasury sends to Parliament. Don't they make the connections? Again, another kind of contradictory, conflicting story um, where you're right. These are individuals who are not removed from these processes and these procedures, but yet they want to use our second favorite word, you know, shocked, perturbed, <laughs> uh, completely <laughs> taken aback that government, you know, Treasury in this instance would implement these kinds of budget cuts. And I need to remind the listeners that this is a department that is supposed to be, you know, neck deep in the planning for the introduction of our first ever universal basic income grant. This is supposed to completely revolutionize uh, this country and the way in which people live, right? And the fact that already we're dealing with a budget cut to the tune of 600 million rands means that we are nowhere near uh, implementing that basic income grant and, and assisting people who need it. Rosa, I can keep you here forever, but lastly, before I let you go, the main man seems to have returned to the Zondo Commission, Lucky Montana, former CEO at Prasa. Last week when he appeared there, he was dropping some bombs, quite disappointed at how the ANC is not leveling up with the commission and admitting how it was prying on state coffers, especially with state-owned entities. What are you looking forward to today? 
I mean, uh, we're obviously going to be hearing more testimony in the same vein from 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 Lucky Montana, um, just you know, kind of detailing for us exactly detailing for us exactly how you know senior members of the ANC were able to gain these kickbacks using Prasa and other state-owned entities as a conduit for that. But it is, I think, it's a testimony to the professionalism of the commission <laughs> that they can continue to hear testimony from a man who. You know, accuse them of being compromised. Yeah. Um, and I mean, look, Connor, I think you should be happy with the fact that you're one of the names that have not been dropped <laughs> at <laughs> the commission by be Lucky, dropped. because I mean, by Lucky Montana, because he's he's pretty much cast aspersions on anyone that we can think of at this moment, including uh, President Cyril Ramaphosa. So he's definitely one to watch well, uh, for the remainder of this week. Let's watch out what happens today. But thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. I enjoyed my little debut. Oh, <laughs> it was a great debut. Power News Desk Editor, thank you very much. Taking us through the stories that we should focus on in the diary week coming ahead. I will be joined on the line shortly by Ntlantla Gumede, who is with the National Energy Regulator of South Africa, where we will be talking about their invitation for stakeholders to submit written comments on ESCOM's application for a 10-year negotiated pricing agreement uh, for Hillside Alumni Smelter in Richards Bay, Umtlatuze Local Municipality, KwaZulu Natal. Power Talk with Lukon Amguni, weekdays 9 a.m. to noon on Power 98.7. It is 21 minutes past 10. Let me welcome Muntland Lagumede, full-time regulator, member, electricity regulation and chairperson of the electricity subcommittee. Gumede, good morning. Welcome to Power Talk. Uh, good morning, Lohana. And good morning to your listeners. Thank you very much for making the time. I know it's a busy day on your end. But please just uh, help us through here. Why was it important for NERSA to actually issue this invitation for stakeholders to submit written comments on this uh, negotiation taking place between ESCOM and Hillside Aluminium uh, Smelter? Well, firstly, as you would know, that as part of our processes as NERSA, we actually are obligated to consult, um, to consult all stakeholders that potentially could be affected by a NASA decision. Because as you know that in, in the sector of the electricity pricing system, you can't have any price in terms of Section 15, Subsection 2 of the Act. You can't have any price between any parties in South Africa, a, a licensee, and uh, mm. can't sell pa- uh, power to anybody at the price other than that that's been approved or set by the regulator. And, and Landla, who are the targeted stakeholders in this regard? I know that it might just in, include also people from Umtlatuze. Uh, can other South Africans who read the report, I tried to look for it on the website, I know in the statement you had said it can be requested, a person who reads the report and is worried about something, can they be able to actually send comments to you? We actually, we would appreciate comments from all members of the public and also we are also hoping on this one that we'll actually also have a public hearing, which would really request as much input in this so that we have a better understanding also of the role uh, of aluminum in the country and, and the role of electricity into it and so forth, that at least some of these matters that are speculated in the public, that they can then be put to rest and be discussed openly. And some of those matters have been some people asking, why is there a need for a special dispensation for a hillside aluminum smelter? Exactly that. So also not just a, a special dispensation, for the understanding of the relationship 
uh, the price relationship or the, 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 the cost to serve to, 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 to service such a large consumer of, 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 of electricity steady state, they are the, 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 value into the system in terms of grid stability. Or, uh, basically, just to say, even address the question, are consumers um, uh, subsidizing that smelter? Because that mm-hmm. is, is a fundamental question that um, I think people behind doors, it is being asked uh, or discussed, but never put in front of the people so that people can then also engage with that question and understand the value of having such a metal in our economy that we actually don't import the, the finished products, but the value of that metal um, to, 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 to creation of industries and businesses uh, in, in proximity to, to it. Like uh, in, 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 in terms of Mtlatuze, for instance, yes. it's not just, it's not just the, the aluminum, uh, the, the uh, South 32, it's all of the integrated businesses that then spring up Hulamin and other businesses that, that spring up because we actually have that. So we actually need to have a proper discussion on it. So we would invite uh, communities that are in the area commu- uh, uh, or, or, or other consumers of electricity in the country mm. that may be feeling that they are subsidizing that yes. to come and have input and to listen. So now, we are inviting as broadly as possible. Now, Landa, I love the point you are raising because uh, we know that uh, these smelters and, in part, the mining sector quite con- consume quite a significant amount of the electricity. As, uh, as to your understanding today, from an ELSA point of view, how much electricity does a hillside consume from the grid? Well, I, um, um, says, um, I, I can give you an indicative number because I don't know yes. whether that number is actually, it's, it's, it's about 1,200 megawatts. And, and that's what and, they would be taking. And it's constant, and it's constant. But right. the beauty with it is that it's not just about that. It, it's also, yes, they consume this, but they've got these arrangements, for instance, to then not produce a maximum of two hours a day or something like that yeah. uh, in support of the grid. And what is the value of those things? So it's actually, um, the, the, the smelters, remember, as any country, you need to have a productive sector. So yes. our productive sectors in South Africa is, 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 um, is, is, is agriculture. Because we're a water kind of scarce country, we've got irrigated agriculture. So mm. that's a productive sector. You also have got the minerals, the mining sector, and the minerals processing. That says, but what you then need to do is to say, okay, this is the basis of my economy. What, what can I use? Even when I grow grapes in, the, in, in, in Western Cape, what yeah. can I use the grapes for? The same with minerals. But we need to have that conversation, which I believe has not been had. Absolutely. And Landla, just before we wrap up, what has the previous cost structure been like for Hillside and what is it that they are asking for for this next 10 years contract? Well, it's been similar. Remember these things. For instance, we are processing alumina, alumina, uh, which, which is aluminum oxide, that we actually import from other countries, mm. primarily Australia. But that, that, that alumina can go anywhere in the world. And it, in fact, it chases the, the cheapest available price. So what they're looking for is that, yes, we've got, a, a, a sunk, cap, um, a, a, we've got sunk capital in this area, but clearly because of the, um, the, the role that, that electricity plays in their cash costs. They're then saying, keep us, can you keep us um, uh, comparable with other uh, producers of 
of aluminum. So well, what they're asking for, perhaps in the, in the past might have been even lower in terms of the cost, but they're asking for costs that are comparable in respect of other producers. What is the unit aluminum. cost that they are looking at? Unfortunately, I think I, I, I would rather people actually read that in, in the document, lest I actually say things that they, they, they actually applied for in, in, in respect of, of confidentiality. But that is detailed in the... In, in I the was on your website and I didn't get that document. Uh, was I doing something wrong? Oof, you know... Because, I, because I, your statement clearly said the above document is available at the website or on request. So it was already ambiguous as though it's not readily available to the public. I, look, I tried to look for it last night. I tried to look for it this morning before our interview, but I, it, it's just not there on that page that is talking about this call. Uh, 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 um, thank you, Ukona, for for for, uh, for 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 bringing it up to me. It's meant to be on the website because we are inviting everybody to download that document, read it through. Yes, there might be aspects of it that that have been applied uh, to, to to be kept confidential. Yeah, yeah. So it, 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 it's only on that basis that I'm uncomfortable to just say a numbers like that without knowing. But I will chase it up for you. I will make sure that Sandra, it's please, definitely please, available. Please today. make sure that it is on the website and uh, we can be able to have another conversation maybe on the you know T's and C's that would be yes. publicly available to expand people's understanding exactly what this request is and that deadline being the 26th of May this year. Brilliant. I will definitely okay. do that. Sandra, thank you so thank much you. for joining us. That is Sandra uh, Gumede from NELSA, full-time regulator member there, chairing the subcommittee on electricity. It is about the invitation, a call really by NELSA for people to uh, submit written comments on ESCOM's application for a 10-year negotiated pricing agreement uh, for Hillside Aluminium Smelter in Richards Bay. And as Sandra is saying, to some people, there are a lot of questions being raised as to do they deserve a special dispensation? And I will definitely follow up with him when they've made that report publicly available. As he says, it ought to be. And I suppose uh, I'm feeling confident that at least by this evening, he would have made sure that it is on their website as currently it is not. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.